good morning, everyone. So glad to see you today. Uh, last night, it was like 4 a.m., I just, uh, I woke up and I just, my mind was racing. Sometimes the Lord, it feels like he wakes me up in the middle of the night and I'm like, why are we doing this right now, Lord? Because I got to get up and preach in a few hours and I really need my rest. But, but I started thinking about, you know, like the state fair is coming up, kids are going back to school. And even though there's still some time left in summer, there's kind of a normal transition point going on right now in our minds. And we're kind of gearing up for the fall and for the rest of the year. And, and I just got to thinking about what is it that we're trying to accomplish as a church? There's programs, there's activities, there's all kinds of stuff that goes on. <clears throat> but what is it at its core that we really want to see happen? And, and one of the most important things at the top of the list that I care the most about, and I hope you do as well, is your relationship with Jesus Christ. And this isn't a thing that you can be passive about. I started just thinking, uh, and this is what was racing through my mind last night, was all these invitations that Jesus gives to us, like ask, seek, knock, hunger, thirst. These are not mild terms. These are very strong invitations. Come and see, follow me, be with me, remain in me, abide in me, believe in me, trust in me, uh, be rooted and established in love with me, know me, taste my, that the Lord is good, uh, imitate me, be born again, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, walk in faith, Walk in love, take up the cross, stand firm, even die. These are not passive, these are very active postures that God wants us to lay hold of a relationship. And if you do all the stuff that a church might offer and all the, and, and you're not getting that, then we've failed, right? Uh, Last week, we celebrated, uh, Jay and I, over 20 years of ministry. And if after 20 years of ministry, 20 plus for the two of us, we've been serving a lot longer than that, by the way. We go back uh, even four or five years before Lakeside. But if at the end of the day, you haven't developed a relationship with Jesus Christ, a vital relationship, then what have we really accomplished, right? What's it look like this fall for you to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus said, it's good that I'm leaving to the Father because I'm going to send my spirit. And I got to thinking about our relationship with the Holy Spirit. And do you have a relationship with the Holy Spirit? Is the spirit of the living God a vital reality to you? Uh, so the, the Holy Spirit says, weep, mourn, wail, repent. Uh, the Holy Spirit is trying to sensitize us to the things that are sensitive to the heart of God, his desires, his will, what pleases him. And, and there's things in our life that we just need to repent from and turn away from and, and be broken about and, and wait and invite God's Holy Spirit. And, and is that what you're doing here? Is that what your life is about? Welcoming the Spirit, beginning in the Spirit, being immersed in the Spirit, renewed in the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, Singing in the spirit, like you sow seeds so that you reap spiritual results in your life. 
You sow to the flesh, you get more flesh. You get more carnality. But you sow to the spirit, drinking in the spirit, keeping in step with him, producing his fruit, being on fire in the spirit, living by the spirit, praying in the spirit, enduring, having fellowship with the spirit, serving in the newness of the spirit. The Holy Spirit animates this new life that God wants us to live out. So we come to Christ, but the Spirit makes us become like Christ. That's what we're trying to accomplish. And what about your relationship in the world? Your purpose in the world? Be in the world, but not of the world. Be salt, be light. Be gentle, be wise. Be ready to always give a reason for the hope that's within you. Be sober-minded, alert, Go and make disciples, be sent, uh, love, mercy, and justice, do good, seek and save the lost, remember the poor, preach the gospel, pray to the Lord of the harvest to be like raising up people for the worldwide mission of the church. Have you discovered your purpose in the world? Yeah, you work and you raise a family and I'm not going to diminish or minimize any of those things. But what's your capital P purpose? Have you laid hold of the things that God wants you to do in the world? And of course, another very vital area of relationship is our marriages and our families and the church. Over the next few weeks, we're going to do a series we're calling I Love My Church. Now, I've seen churches do this series, and something about I Love My Church, that phraseology kind of annoys and bugs me. Maybe I'm a little bit cynical or something, or there's something that was unsettling about it. And so I kind of, like, I, I'm not going to do a series like that. I kind of, but, uh, but then I thought, you know, we need to talk about this subject. Uh, the other night we visited uh, Texas Roadhouse, and uh, all the staff were wearing T-shirts that said, I love my job. And uh, I always needle people, so I asked the gal that was seated, I was like, do you love your job? Do you really? Do you love it a lot? She said, yes, she did. So maybe everybody there really does love their job. Maybe they're just wearing a T-shirt because it's required attire. I don't know. Maybe it's a marketing strategy. Maybe it's a good way to attract new workers. I love my job. I don't know. Maybe you're like, I hate my job. Hey, they love their job. I think I'll quit and I'll go work at the roadhouse. Free steak, I'm in. You probably notice on social media that every now and then somebody will post, I love my husband, or I love my wife, or I love fill in the blank. And then they post all these ooey gooey pictures, and you're like, ah, they're like broadcasting things. You know, it's like, are, are you trying to convince us, or are you trying to convince yourself? You ever got, you know, I love my church, I love my job. You ever get a little cynical when you, well, I don't want you to think of this series as a marketing strategy. It's not. And I definitely don't want you to think of this series as some kind of a boast. I love my church. I want you to think of this series as a kind of covenant, a pledge, a personal resolution. That's how you should think of the phrase, I love my church. Church is who I am. Church is what I do. Church is the people with whom I belong and walk with Christ and walk by the Spirit and fulfill great things in this world by God's grace and power. Now, 
I want you to think of church, you can think of it in a couple of different ways, and both are important for different reasons. Obviously, there's the big C church. There's the kingdom of God. Uh, So within God's kingdom, we're not the only Christians. We're Christians only. So I don't like this idea of like us having an attitude that, well, we're the only healthy, strong, true, whatever church, or we're the only whatever Christians. We're Christians only and simply. And and all of us, every single one of us, is called to honor the, the big C church wherever it is in whatever form, as long as it's like a Bible-based, Christ-honoring, you, you, know, you get that point. But we're called to honor the, the church and serve and love the big C church. And it's like this with marriage, and it's like this with family as well. If you're married, you're not the only person that's married. If you have a family, you're not the only person that has a family. And so there's a sense in which we are to, we have a duty to respect marriages everywhere and honor marriages everywhere, but also strengthen families everywhere. The capital M marriage and the capital F family is something to be, and the big C church are things that are, the kingdom of God is embodied in these institutions, and they're so vital and structurally important to God's purposes into our world, and, and we have a, we are sold out to those institutions, to those designs of God, right? But there's still the little C church, and Lakeside is, is one of hundreds of churches in Sangamon County, maybe a thousand. Uh, I once counted just in the Springfield, greater Springfield area, I once counted there was like over 300 churches in this area. Half of them are Baptists. I was going through, I had to uh, type all these out. I, I was working part-time. This is a while back, but uh, but I was typing up all these addresses and I got to the Baptist. I was like, oh, there's American Baptist and this Baptist and that. But anyway, it's kind of funny. But in the book of Acts, there's a church at Jerusalem, Corinth, Galatia, Colossae, Philippi, Ephesus. And the thing that we know is that God has always organized his people into marriages, into families, into local fellowships, into churches. Big C church, but a little C church. And the reason is that God never intended us to act like a bunch of freelancers when it comes to the kingdom of God. You know the freelance mentality, uh, here today, gone tomorrow. There are so many Christians today that just float around from place to place. And I'm not deriding anybody or throwing shade on anybody. There are good reasons often to, to maybe leave a church fellowship and join with another. Like there are legitimate biblical reasons and a lot of you have exercised that. And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about this mindset though where we're not rooted or anchored anywhere. We just float around. And there's people that imagine that they're part of the big C church and they never get around to anchoring themselves in the little C church. Maybe they think they're above the little C church. I'm above getting obligated and getting committed and, and getting sticky in the little C church. This is one of the reservations I often have of parachurch organizations. 
is that when you have these churches that are parachurch organizations, they kind of exist above and beyond the church, missions, agencies, uh, Bible colleges, universities, on and on it goes, financial things, you know, whatever it is. But often people that work in those things, because they're serving the big C church, they don't feel like they have to be part of the little C church. And so they're freelancers and they float around and they're kind of political. And, you know, I want you to think there, there are so many men that imagine themselves to be, or they, they desire to be a father or a dad or a husband. Or imagine a woman that wants to be a mother or a mom or wife. But imagine that the, the, the man and the woman, they, they move from place to place. And they're always moving from house to house and, and relationship to relationship. This is the new design of marriage and family today. That the overwhelming majority of people don't want to move into commitment with each other. They want to have a freelance marital family relationship. So I want you to imagine, not imagine because... Some of you may be living it. Some of you have experienced it. Some of you want to see it change. But, but imagine people never putting their roots down anywhere, mother, father. What kind of home, what kind of family, what kind of children come when mom and dad, mom or dad, never have any glue on their feet? They're never committed. They're never part of something. They, but, you know, they're, they're in relationships. They just aren't committed here. To, to a particular person in time and place. And, and I also want you to think of the church. What would come of Christ's church if every Christian just floated about, never committing themselves to any one body? I want to tell you, before I came to Lakeside, I was in Berlin, Illinois, in a small church. It's rural, and there's not a lot of churches. You know, you're, you're kind of the church of the community. And there's kind of a, a stickiness to relationships and, you know, people either come to that church or sometimes they, they might drive into Springfield or whatever. But for the most part, you have a fixed group of people that, that relate to a church. But in Springfield, there's just this evolving door of, of people that are, are here and then they're there and then they're there. And it's like every few years, everybody just kind of, it just, it churns, right? And, and what comes of a church where, where everybody's just continually churning like that. What comes of a, a marriage or a family? You know exactly what comes of it. You know, uh, love can't be hollow boast. You know, to say I love my church means that you have a church. And it's okay for you to say I have a marriage, I have a family, I have a church. This is my church. Not in an arrogant, boastful, exclusionary kind of way, but in, with, with a mentality of ownership and, and, a, and a kind of, like, that you're laying your roots someplace. And there's a people with whom you've covenanted to grow. And you have a place. And there's some substance to it. You know, last week we talked about I think something very important, we talked about the difference between God's general goodness and God's specific love. And so God's general goodness is that God touches all people everywhere in profound ways, in important ways. His kindness spreads across all of humanity and he causes his sun to shine and his rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. He gives good gifts 
if you lack wisdom, he gives wisdom to everyone generously without finding fault, which is awesome because maybe you're like, I need wisdom, God. But, but God has a, a particular kind of love that in the Old Testament is called hesed love and in the New Testament, agape love. And we see this hesed agape love of God in the Bible. It is the headline of scripture. It appears again and again and again in God's relationships with Israel, in Christ's relationship to the church. It is the central feature of God that, that we can key into. So when God calls Abraham, he makes a covenant with Abraham. And he says, go from your land, your relatives, and your father's house. You know, like leave these things that you've been comfortable with. There are times of transition. There are times for a fresh start, a new beginning. That's why I don't want to throw shade on the idea that a person might leave one church for another. But it shouldn't be a habit and a pattern. It should be once in a, maybe, like, but anyway, leave, and I'm going to show you the land that I want you to go to. I will make you a great nation. I, God says, will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. I emphasize I, thou. I and you. Because when you're in a covenant relationship with God and he has agape hesed, it's he and you. I and you. And God is doing specific things for you that go far beyond his general goodness that he shows all people. He's loving you in a covenantal kind of way. And for Abraham, you know, God pledged to show faithful love to Abraham, hesed agape love for his lifetime, to lead him, to guide him, to make him into a great nation and people to bless him and not curse him. And if anyone blessed Abraham, like Melchizedek or whoever, it was just, as if they were blessing God himself. And if anyone messed with Abraham, you were messing with the full fury and wrath of the living God. And, and when God is for somebody, who can be against him? You know, we wear out Romans 8, but Paul really tackles that idea in a, in a very powerful way. And we talked about it last week, but he says, if God is for us, who can be against us? God is for those who are in a covenant relationship with him. He is for those who fear him and love him. Here's what we know about God's kind of hesed agape love. God's love is an unconditional commitment to an imperfect people. You might say, I'm open to loving perfect people, perfect wife, perfect family, perfect children, the perfect church. It doesn't exist. The only kind of people that you can love that God can love are imperfect people. And so God's kind of love is that he's made an unconditional commitment to an imperfect people in which God gives himself sacrificially again and again, faithfully to bring about his intended purpose in our lives and in his world. Now we know in the Bible, right from the first opening chapters, we know from the Bible how people can become so stubborn in their rebellion. You know it of yourself. You know it of people you care about. How stubborn we can be. 
and, and obstinate and stiff-necked. You know, there's all kinds of descriptors in the Bible. Uh, but you've seen that stubbornness and that pattern. Yet what do we see of God? God can be infinitely more stubborn, but in love. Uh, for God, love isn't a sprint. It's a marathon. And he spins himself in that marathon. He spins his very life in that marathon in order to help us achieve. You know, he exhausts his love on his children so that we might, his purpose might be brought about in our life. There's a psalm that's so powerful, and it's a good one to memorize and to reflect on. Psalm 103, write it down. Don't forget Psalm 103, but Psalm 103 extols God's faithful kind of love. And and I'm just laying a foundation here for what I'm about to tell you. So, like, buckle up. But God's faithful love is the foundation of everything we're going to talk about here in a second. So, in Psalm 103, the psalmist is talking to his own soul. So, that's interesting. And he's instructing his soul what to do. And he's saying, my soul, bless the Lord. All that's within me, bless his holy name. You know, that's the heart talking to the spirit. My soul, bless the Lord. Do not forget all his benefits. Your heart guides your spiritual formation. Your your heart tells everything else about you. Heart, mind, body, soul, spirit, relation. It tells everything else about you what to do. So... In his heart, he's saying, do not forget how faithful God's love has been. And then the psalmist lists some things. He says, he forgives all your iniquity, soul. He heals all your diseases, soul. He redeems your life from whatever pit you've fallen into. He crowns you with faithful love and compassion. He satisfies you with good things. Your youth is even renewed Like that of an eagle, the Lord executes acts of righteousness and justice on the oppressed. He's revealed all of his ways to Moses. He's revealed his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love. He will not always accuse us or be angry. He's not dealt with us as our sins deserve or repaid us for all of our iniquities. Thank the Lord for that. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his faithful love toward those who love him, who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his own children, a father might have compassion on all children, capital C children. But what about a father's particular love for his children? As a father has compassion on his children, his own children, so the Lord has compassion on those who are in his family who fear him. For he knows what we're made of. He he remembers that we're of dust. The the Lord knows our imperfections, our incapacities, our shortcomings, our our sin nature, our carnality. The, The Lord knows all of it. As for man, you know, his days are like grass. His life blooms like a flower in a field. 
But then when the wind passes over the flower, the flower vanishes and the place of the flower is no longer known. But if you're God's from eternity to eternity, the Lord's faithful love is toward those who fear him and his righteousness toward even their grandchildren, generation after generation, of those who keep his covenant, who remember to observe his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. You know, God's kingdom is your marriage. That's one context for his kingdom. It's your family, your children, your grandchildren. That's one context. And the other context is the church. And God rules and has established his throne in your marriage, in your family, and in the church. He's established his throne, and where God is king and you're part of that kingdom, he rules in those domains. So let's not write off the church as insignificant. Let's not be a bunch of freelancers here. Bless the Lord, all of his angels of great strength who do his word, obedient to his command. Bless the Lord, all the armies, all the servants that are doing his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all the places where he rules. Soul, bless the Lord. In all the places he rules. You know, that really stuck out to me. Because we need a place to live out the kingdom. A relational space, a marriage, a family, my church. Now, I thank God for his goodness every day. But more specifically, I praise him for his covenant, faithful, hesed, agape kind of love. If you're in Christ, God isn't just doing good to you or me. He is faithful to me. He is for me. He blesses me. He forgives me. He heals me, redeems me, sanctifies me, satisfies me, crowns me with good things, renews my strength, blots out my transgressions. You know, if you were to make a list for your soul of all the benefits of God that you're not to forget, you wouldn't have enough pages in your journal to to fill up and list all the benefits of God because you're his. God gives those who love him indescribable gifts and blessings. And if God is for you, who can be against you? That's the faithful love of God that the Bible talks about. And it's available to all who would ask for it and invite Christ to be the Lord of their life and and who would fear God. You just have to ask. You're not excluded from it, but you have to seek it with all your heart. But here is where we get down. Metal, metal, uh, the, the rubber beats the road, so to speak. God wants us to love one another. Agape hesed. As he first loved us. And not with a generic kind of love, but with a faithful, covenanting love. What is the church? What does it mean to love my church? Well, I'll tell you what that love is. It's an unconditional commitment to an imperfect people in which, like God, we give ourselves sacrificially to God and to one another, and we do it again and again. We do it faithfully because we want to bring about God's purpose in our midst, in our lives, in our world. You know, God's chosen metaphor 
that he uses time and again because he thinks it'll help us understand his faithful love. God uses marriage. In the Old Testament, God saw himself as the groom, the husband of his bride Israel, the father of all the children of Israel. And oh, how Israel could be so unfaithful and idolatrous and promiscuous and adulterous and disgusting in so many ways morally. Like, you know, you read the prophets and it's just like, oh my goodness, right? No, not goodness, uh, something else, I don't know. But, but Israel's an ugly, imperfect bride from the very beginning. But God kept taking back his unfaithful bride because he refused to disown his own nature. It was about him being faithful first and he wouldn't disown his own nature. And God as a husband, like he defies what anything that is even humanly capable of. Like, you know, every once in a while, God would grab some poor prophet like Hosea and say, hey, go take Gomer as your wife and like, or Ezekiel. And, and there'd be some circumstance that would just be unbearable. But God was trying to give his people a window into his kind of faithful love. And, and his kind of faithful love goes far beyond our carnality. And then Jesus comes along and he saw himself as a groom. And John the Baptist introduced him as a groom. And the groom, the husband, Christ, was coming to claim his bride, the church. And so it's kind of like, when's the Bible talking about God's marriage, Christ's marriage, uh, what we're to be as a people, when is it talking about like literal marriage? A lot of times it's all blurred and blended together because it's all one and the same in a sense. It's kingdom, hesed, agape, love. There's no perfect churches or wife or husband or family or just look at the New Testament. There's no perfect church. Pick your flavor of church. I mean, they're all a mess. Which one do you want to be a pastor of? You know, uh, which one would you lose more hair in faster? You know, I don't know, but I've lost all mine at Lakeside, you know, but, but uh, that's sacrifice. But anyway, what does Christ do? He faithfully loves the church. He loves us imperfect believers with an unconditional, ferocious, hesed, agape, divine kind of love and, and God marks us and seals us and he fills us with his Holy Spirit and he continually gives himself to us by his spirit even dying for us on the cross it's his faithful love that ought to be most imprinted on us don't you agree it's his faithful love that ought to be the defining the, the earmark if you will of the church a central feature, one of the most remarkable passages in the New Testament, at first appears to be about marriage. And people read it and they kind of grimace and they're like, oh, what's, you know, it appears to be about marriage. But again, God blends metaphors. He's literally talking about marriage and family, but he's also literally talking about his covenantal faithful kind of love. Ephesians 5, let's just look at it for a moment. We submit to one another. Now, what's the context? Fear of Christ. We're on the same page on the fear of Christ. If you're part of a church that doesn't fear Christ or fear the word or fear God, you need to, there, there is a good reason to move, and some of you have. But assuming that the body that you're part of fears and, and reveres Christ and his word, and he's the head of the church, all right? Submit to one another in that context. Now, here's what it looks like. 
Now, he's talking to the church. But then he talks about marriage for a second. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Why would you ever do such a thing, you know? Because the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Christ is the savior of the body. You know, he he goes from talking about marriage to talking about who Christ is. As the church submits to Christ, wives are to submit to their husbands and everything. Now, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. Uh, You'd never submit to a monster, but you would submit to a person that was Christ-like, that was washing and and, and, and was committed unconditionally to bringing about God's beauty and perfection and beauty in your life. You'd be committed to that kind of a person. But Christ loved the church. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. And in the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. You see how everything's just kind of being blended together. No one ever hates his own flesh. They provide and they care for it, just as Christ does the church, since we are members of his body. Now, this re- for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. There's application for marriage, but the application for the church is that we've left and we've cleaved together, and we've become one flesh together, and we are members of one another. And if, if you, a lot of people, you know, like you can dismember the church and pull apart all the members, it's gory and gruesome, and there's no way a church that's being dismembered can survive. We're members of one another. We've leave and we cleave, and we're one flesh. It's like our, the body of Christ is our body. Just as the church is Christ's body, that is a level of ownership that we never talk about when it comes to church. It's somebody else's church. It's pastor so-and-so's church. My church. It's Christ's church. It's my church. And I'm a member of it, and I'm one flesh with it, and I'm sold out to it and committed to it. And, And this isn't how we think about church. It's also not how many think about marriage. It's not how they think about their family. And it's not a surprise that it overflows in the church. And it's not how our society is either. We've abandoned all faithfulness because we have not told our soul to remember the faithfulness of God. Psalm 103. The same DNA of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The DNA that is in Ephesians 5 that makes for this kind of indestructible marriage and indestructible family. This same DNA also makes for a powerful, indestructible church. Could you imagine if every man was for his wife? Could you imagine if every wife was for her husband in every way that the God of Israel was for his bride? If husband and wife were for each other in every way, that Ephesians 5 talks about Christ being for his church. Could you imagine if the hearts of every father was turned back to their children and their grandchildren 
And the way that Malachi says God's heart was like that he was going to turn fathers' hearts back to their kids. And the, the hearts of kids back to their parents as well. Could you imagine if every member of the body of Christ were really for one another? If every member uh, saw to it that God's intended purpose was being brought about. So husbands looking out for husbands, wives and, and mothers and fathers and, and families looking out for families and, and not just members looking out for each other, but maybe churches looking out for each other as well. Why stop? Just, you know, like imagine if the DNA of God got deeply imprinted in a way that we thought about everything from marriage to family. What would God do? You know, every time God has done something extraordinary in history, He's always created an institution or an organizational design as a holding environment or a vehicle to accomplish what he wanted to see happen. So an example is the tabernacle in the, in the books of the law. An example is the temple. An example is the Levitical priesthood. But for us, it's also in addition to all those things. The most core institution that God established from the very beginning was marriage, context for God to rule, the kingdom of God, your family, but also the church. The church is the priesthood of all believers. And what would it look like for God to have his way in the church and in our marriages and family? You know, what does it mean when Paul says that we're to be members of one another? What does it mean to have a one flesh mentality, not just in marriage, but in the church? What does it mean not just to wear a t-shirt that says, I love my job or I love my church or whatever, but, but from the heart to live out a covenant with one another? Wouldn't you want to be a part of a church like that? What does it look like for us to pledge ourselves to one another? I love my church. This is what we're going to spend the next couple of weeks unpacking. Do you think it's important? You bet it is. What does it mean to love my church? What does it mean? What does it look like? Yes, Christ, big C, capital church, but this church and this place at this time that God has called us together to be in, what does it look like to love his church? I hope you'll join us on this short journey. Uh, in the fall, we'll be in the book of Nehemiah, and we're going to look like uh, at some, some themes of what it looks like to invite God, not just to be in this place, but in our world, and for us to be his instrument in the world. We're going to unpack the book of Nehemiah uh, this fall. In the new year, we're going to be in the Gospel of John, and we're going to hit the last half of the Gospel of John and talk about what it looks like to abide in Jesus. So we've got a lot of ground to cover, but won't you join us on this journey? Let's pray. Dear Father. We pray that by your spirit, you would just enlarge our imagination and our understanding of what we're to be together as your people, who we're to be with you as our God, with Christ as our head. We pray that we'd be submissive to one another, that we'd be submissive to Christ, that we would yield ourselves to your purpose in this time and place. Father, there's some here that have never begun a relationship with Jesus Christ. I pray that there are folks here that will go to the pathway class and, and begin a journey starting right now, this fall even, of, of knowing Jesus. 
There's some that are here that have never experienced the power of this new life, of the indwelling strength of the Holy Spirit animating this life, enabling us to spiritually be what we can never be in the flesh. And, and I pray that there's some that would just open themselves up and invite your spirit to carry them. Father, there's some that have never been a member of a church. There are some here, sadly, that have only been attenders and freelancers, maybe their whole life and have never truly belonged and, and got sticky and got into a covenantal relationship. There's fathers, mothers that are that way as well. We pray that you would make us a faithful people. We have a welcome to Lakeside class. We have a starting point a meal that we do for those of you that might be interested in taking first steps into loving in a covenantal way this church that God has created. Sadly, there's some of us that maybe have never understood the light that you want us to be in the world, the purpose that you've created us to fulfill. We pray that that journey begin in this series and continues this fall. And may we engage more deeply than ever before to understand your purposes. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.